0: listening to the Rosenfeld Review and I'm Lou Rosenfeld and I'm delighted you're here and I'm delighted that our two guests are here today. Uh, we're joined by Savzada Mayad and Lauren Lynn. They're both speakers at October's Design Op Summit. It is the seventh Design Op Summit that we will put on. It takes place October 2nd through 4th. A great, great program. And these two folks are part of it. They're giving a talk called Cultivating Design Ecologies of Care, Community and Collaboration taking place on October 4th. So, uh, Maya, Lauren, it's great to have you here.
1: We're happy to be here. We're excited to dive in.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a wonderful topic. Uh, I mean, my understanding is that you're diving in to the intersection of care-centeredness and design operations and like intersections get me really excited. So, um, you know, like uh, I remember hearing Rachel Dekas talk a year or two ago, who's, you know, obviously one of the people who's brought a lot of thinking about trauma-informed design to, to our field, coming from a social work background. Uh, and, you know, the, the beauty of our field is that it just keeps... Kind of throwing up new intersections, new things that you didn't necessarily knew had to do with user experience design. So let's talk about your backgrounds, first of all. Um, uh, Lauren, what's your background? How did you come into this field? And, uh, and then Mind, we'll have you do the same.
1: Sure. Um, yeah, my design journey starts when I was (laughs) third grade. Um, I somehow had the idea that I wanted to become a designer, but not just any kind of designer and everything designer, which doesn't exist. But I think that yeah, exactly. But I think that reflected my point of view where design, it's not just, you know, visual or fashion or environmental, but it is about the intersections. And it is about how design is like about a feeling, about a community, and you can design anything. Um, So that's an idea that really inspires me. And so I have gravitated most recently to youth-centered research, focusing on co-design, ethical research. How can we shift power through co-design and amplify youth voices? And I do that um, part-time at IDEO called the Play Lab. It's a lab where we work with kids. We make toys, but we also design for play. So how do we bring play into traditionally unplayful scenarios? You
0: you get to make toys?
1: I do get to make toys. For money? Yes. It's one of the many jobs of an everything designer.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. I, I must have taken a wrong turn somewhere, but uh, I'm glad you get to do it. Uh, <laughs> how about you, someone's Maya? Someone's got to do it. Yeah, that's a, it's a lovely job and someone's got to do it. Maya, how about your background and, and path?
2: Absolutely. Um, I feel like I come more from like a social services, social impact background. So like doing community work has always been a part of um, what I've done. And then when I was probably in about eighth or ninth grade, I became more interested. It was when like Canva was first introduced and it was like graphic design was becoming more accessible. And then I was like, Ooh, there's like Adobe creative cloud and all of this thing. that was like when I got into graphic design more, but, um, and then like the communication piece, I think over time, I've really refined that into thinking about like, storytelling and like community-oriented storytelling is the main thing. Because oftentimes what I've realized is how I connect that to my work today is like a lot of ancestral histories are lost. Thinking from like a decolonial perspective is like whose stories are we telling? How are we telling them? Why are we telling them? So I think that's the core of um, what I try to focus on. Um, In terms of work that I do right now, I primarily co-lead strategy and research at Positive Effect. Um, we're a relational design consultancy based in Canada. And um, we do a lot of work around, like, um, again, pretty similar in terms of, like, decentralizing power, um, talking about coloniality and design and research, thinking about abolition futures. So a lot of, like, speculative work in that way as well. and. Um, but at the core of everything that we do is the understanding that we have to be in good ethical relationships with ourselves, each other, the lands that we're on and the ecosystems that we inhabit. So I think that's like the core politic, I would say, um, that I operate from.
0: So I hear a couple of themes uh, emerging from you both. One is obviously the the care centeredness uh, and community, which seems to to make a lot of sense, uh, as well as a focus, uh, at least in Lauren's case on children. And, um, uh, and, and it's interesting because you both grew up with this essentially. I mean, Lauren, you mentioned third grade and my eighth, ninth grade. So this is going back quite a while for you. And I wonder if you have found that working together, is a, a mechanism to get you both to step back from maybe what's become so internalized and so part of you in your careers, I mean, going back to childhood, that it, it's been useful to find a, a, a peer, a partner, to share those ideas around and uh, to bounce back and forth. You mentioned that before we started the podcast, that you are really good at bouncing ideas back and forth with each other. What's, what's that partnership like? Does it really give you a lens into your own thinking? And, and how did you actually find each other?
2: I think that's a really, really thoughtful question. So I appreciate that. Um, I think the partnership to me is just like, I think of relationships um, in terms of like you're planting seeds with someone, right? And then both people have to continually nourish a relationship for it to grow, and grow into something a lot bigger, um, something a lot more exciting. So I feel like we started talking about like, I think two-ish years ago now, and really it just started having conversations around like, who are we as designers? Like What identities do we hold? What do we see as the future of design? And we really just started having conversations. That's really what happened is. Those conversations led us to like forming more thoughts and ideas, and then eventually being like, "Well, what can we do about it together?" So I think that process of growth and emergence and um, co-creating something together was really important. Because at the core of it, I see that as like you're cultivating kinship, right? You're cultivating something together. You're growing it together, and then you see how it like bears fruit. So like presenting at a conference together or doing a workshop, creating guides together and stuff like that. I think are just some ways that like I feel like a relationship like manifests and like other people can see it.
1: Yeah. To me, I would say like care is at the center of relationships and you can't produce anything if it's not centered around care and those relationships. So I think we would talk for like hours. It was a place for us to also like vent about things like corporatized co-design, corporatized care, like how do we kind of have our space and create space for ourselves outside of whatever we think is like the typical human-centered design community and have space to experiment with these ideas together, which then led to us um, creating, as Maya said, guides together. We have some other projects in the works or presenting and co-producing knowledge together.
0: Uh, I I think about that, I mean, I'm asking about that partnership partly because you mentioned shifting power as part of what you're both very interested in and, and a creative partnership like that by definition I would imagine just involves you shifting power back and forth as you work out ideas. Um, so let's talk about those ideas and you can challenge my assumption there. I, uh, I can see the video you can't listeners but I did see at least one eyebrow go up there. Um, let's but let's uh, let's talk about those ideas. Uh, um, uh, you, you have this talk queued up for the summit cultivating design ecologies of care community and collaboration. you have that word cultivating in there as you've mentioned before uh, it's in uh, the context of design ec- ecologies and that's something design operations people are very, aware of and tuned with, hopefully, uh, and, and thinking about quite a bit. Um, what are you um, looking for design operations people to change about their practices or add to that they may not have now? Or do you feel like you're already finding design operations people are, are, are thinking in these terms of care centrism?
2: I think the main thing that I feel like um hinders any, like, true collaboration is power, and power dynamics, um, power structures, hierarchies. So I feel like the way we're sort of presenting this is we truly need to decentralize power in order to actually understand what an ecology could look and feel like. And hence, even using the term ecology, is very intentional in that way and like cultivating it because it's also something we want to recognize that isn't like a perfect all or nothing process it's like something that you're constantly working towards because Mm -hmm. power structures play and intersect all the time when we're like engaging with each other right sometimes it's based on social identities sometimes it's based on like institutional like positions and stuff like that so i think there's a lot of complexity and dimensions there that we really critically have to think about because it is an emerging process of how power keeps on showing up in our practices and trying to decentralize it also has to be an ongoing and emergent process um, which I think is critical to think of as we're thinking about like what does true collaboration look like where everyone's able to contribute to like decision-making, contribute to ideation, experimentation. Because oftentimes what we've also seen um, from our work is just like when people talk about co-design, it's like, yes, come help me design this, but like I am the designer who will then decide what I do with this or like who will Mm -hmm. make all the decisions. So even co-design sometimes fails to actually disrupt and decentralize the power structures that we're naming.
0: So is the design ops leader's role uh, really to not necessarily say, all right, we're going to have co-design because that's just power. Uh, it might, it might not. It depends on how it's implemented. Maybe what you're getting at is more one of, of like taking a different perspective or having different values that a design operations leader should be bringing. For example, The value of shifting power
1: yeah and also thinking about i know design operations sometimes recruitment falls within design operations we think about compensation and design research and how that can be an act of care we often think oh it's monetary it's an exchange i give you money and you give me insights and we're going to make it's there is sort of like an undertone of extractive research mm-hmm. in that. And so one of the things that might, and I have talked about before is how can we think about compensation more expansively and inclusively? It's not always monetary, but is there something that we can do to, I don't know, uplift something that you're working on, give you connections into our community? How can we make this a mutual exchange and help be together and like a relationship in mutual power um, so we all kind of like thrive in collaboration?
0: Is there an example of that? Like like an alternative to uh, to compensation that's monetary? And by the way, I love the way you frame it as extractive. Uh, I think that's really spot on, but have you found in a particular situation that you were actually able to provide something much more valuable than money in in a particular context?
2: Yeah, um, I think one thing that I'll add there is just looking at compensation more broadly as like mutual exchange and reciprocity um we actually would argue that like monetary compensation is probably just the baseline where it's just like you're just compensating someone for their time right because in the world that we live in it's just like time is the real commodity that you are trying it's like oh i'm gonna pay you 25 come give me an hour of your time but then it's like the other person shows up, they participate, they engage, they share like their life experiences and stories. So that is like, we really see that as something that needs to be cherished on top of just being like, well, I'm paying you for this. Right. Um, so the strategies that I've seen work are just like a, um, even some, a lot of people appreciate just having further opportunities sometimes, because what I've seen is, um, sometimes especially researchers operate from this lens of like these people just want money they're just they're just here because they want money and oftentimes that's not actually true because sometimes people really deeply care about the project too so they feel like they want to be involved in like what are the outcomes like how is this work going to impact our communities and stuff like that so sometimes even that can be like something that's really appreciated where it's like outreach and networking and communication right like here's how we use your research and like being very upfront with them, like how this is going to play back into the community. So I think even something like that could be really, is really impactful. And that's something that we've tried out and tested in different projects that we've been a part of as well.
0: So when you've done that on some of those projects, at what point are you trying to get a sense of or establish what are the the additional or alternative means of engagement with people you're working with, whether it's you know, trying to co-design with or, or trying to learn insights from, besides their time, what kinds of things do you look for and when in the process?
1: Yeah, we've discussed this a little bit. I think one, you know, often we're like creating a research plan and, you know, monetary, it's like the default, but what if co-design started at the planning process and people who are bring, who are being brought in We get to have a discussion about what does compensation look like and mean to you and so we're like co-creating this research plan together so i think that it starts in the beginning and it starts just by like asking not only what like what does the design team need but like what do what do you need
2: yeah one thing i'll add is um even asking like what type of involvement do you want because I recognize sometimes people are just like actually I'm struggling financially right now. I just want this money and I want to be done within an hour. They might not be interested in your research. And I think we should we shouldn't treat them like differently because mm-hmm. of that. But um I can share this, this was actually an interesting moment. So like I participated, so every now and then like, I like to participate myself in research studies because that keeps me honest as a researcher and a designer Whereas, like actually just being a participant. So I was part of a study like last like May or something. And I did a one-on-one interview, their lead researcher, she interviewed me. And then after that, like she sent me an email being like, I really appreciate our conversation. Um, would love to chat again sometime. And then I started working with them. So it was actually interesting because from that chat and that conversation, I was sort of helping them. Like I became a part of the research team in their next project. So it was just a very clear example of she was interested in building a relationship, even though like she could have just been like, I've interviewed you, I've compensated you, and the story. But she saw something there that she like grabbed onto immediately and she was like, let's talk more. Um, and I still, like, I just finished another project with them, so I've worked with them on three projects now. You know,
0: um, uh, obviously, there's the, the the sort of value of the engagement to people you're trying to learn from, and, and, and that's really exciting, but it's also exciting to think about, for you as researchers, the, the value you're getting back. I mean, it's just, a, it's probably, like, an order of magnitude more valuable and experience for you to do research in that way. Uh, I'm getting excited just thinking about it. But of course, I got to take a break right now. <laughs> we will be right back. Everyone, you listen to the Rosenfeld Review. Right back. Hey, it's Lou. And I am here to tell you that we have another conference coming up. And this one is the biggest one that we do all year. It's the Design Ops Summit. It's taking place virtually October 2nd through 6th, 2023. You're going to want to be part of it. Even if you're not a design ops practitioner, you might be without realizing it. Certainly if you're a design manager, design program manager, design leader, or someone who works with things like research repositories, design systems, I think you probably are doing something related to design operations and uh, we have just launched the program. You're gonna wanna check it out. It is En Fuego. Hope to see you October 2nd through 6th at the Design Ops Summit. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm joined by my guest Lauren Lin and Saibzada Mayad, both speaking at uh, October's Design Ops Summit. I hope you'll be there. I'll be there. If I'm there, you should be there. Maya is going to be there. Lauren's going to be there. You got to be there. Um, and you're going to want to hear more of what they have to say. In fact, um, what this topic is getting me thinking about is the future, because ultimately, you know, when we're doing research and design, it's all channeled toward a different type of future. And has this care-centered approach Kind of challenged you to, as researchers, to think differently about the future?
1: Yeah, that is a great question. Um, and when we think about the future, we also think about who is getting to craft this future, where does the power, where does the locus of power sit? Um, and so in our talk, which we're super excited about, we are going to have the speculative design portion um, where we will help people in design ops and any designers, or however you define your role, reimagine what the design team could look like, whether that's the technologies that are helping you run your team and design work effectively, or like rituals, um, how is the organization set up? And then also, how is this connecting our community to the broader community, like the land, and not just being human-centered, but everything around us. Um, And to start off with a little quote from the one and only Ruha Benjamin, um, to see things as they really are, you must imagine them for what they might be. We are pattern makers, and we must change the content of our existing patterns. So when we think about shifting power and design and research design ops, which is a lot about structures and creating structures to create change, in design teams and to enable them. You wanna think about like, what are the current patterns that we're living in and also how can we sort of like change that course? And so we think that speculative design is a great medium for that um, because we're able to dream up these scenarios and what that really allows us to do is reflect on the now and sort of work backwards. Like how do we get to this scenario that we're really excited about?
0: I love that. Whenever I hear that expression, uh, speculative design, my ears just go up. And uh, yeah, a lot of people I know, I think are going to be really excited to hear that you're going to be addressing that in your presentation. Actually, is is it something you're addressing, or are you going to be taking it a little further during the presentation?
1: We will address, and there'll be a little bit of immersive (laughs) audience participation. We want We really like to center reflection um, in any of our experiences. And so we're hoping it will be like a communal sort of reflection, collective reflecting on you and then your team and the community that you sit in.
0: Oh, fantastic. Uh, Maya, anything to add to that?
2: Yeah, um, I think the only thing that I'll expand on is I feel like I really loved what you said about pattern makers, Lauren. I feel like um, that almost made me think of like, how we practice the futures like in the present moment so like reorienting the patterns the existing patterns and it's just like to me it all ties back to relationships right and like that's idea of reflection where it's like how are we um practicing embodiment reflecting how we feel and then transforming the relationships around us and using that as a way to project onto the futures that we're trying to imagine and like speculate about Um, So I just thought that was such a powerful connection in terms of like thinking of the power of like speculative design as a tool and a framework to um, sort of really critically think about where we're at right now and where we're trying to be and how that like state of being is actually what we need to practice right now.
0: Uh, I love that too. Thank you, Maya. And I mean, the the concept of pattern uh, finding is a It's better. I mean, it's a social practice, just like design is a social practice in general, and that that establishment of patterns is more successful when it is built on more and more varied relationships. You know, if your your design team is looking for patterns and they're all the same kind of person and they're they're not co-designing, they're not involved, and it's just a monoculture, patterns ain't going to be very good. So I, I'm you know I've already learned something from you guys thank you um we're gonna need to wrap things up in just a minute uh, so in uh in Rosenfeld review tra- uh, podcast pr- tradition uh, I'd like to know what gifts you brought for our listeners
2: so I recently got the chance to collaborate with a bunch of really cool artists designers um, just poets um with the Slow Factory Foundation, so we sort of created this textbook called Planet Justice. And it's just like such a beautiful collection of like poetry, visions for the future, spells, and um, would highly recommend people to check that out. It's called Planet Justice by the Slow Factory.
0: Awesome. We'll make sure the uh, show notes have the link. What about you, Lauren?
1: Yes, the next gift um, is one that Maya and I have co-created, and it is called the Body-Mind Check for Radical Research. And it originated as it's a question, sort of like as a gut check, um, also to check what is your body and mind thinking and feeling when you're about to design, when you're about to engage in design or research. But um, after we did share it online, a lot of people in project management or in other disciplines found it very um, resonant as well. And so this, these are like questions, it's supposed to be a tool um, for self-reflection, reflection reflection of how am I engaging in this work? Um, What is my role as a designer? What is my identity? Um, Also like investigating, where does the power sit in this project? And is it something that I want to engage with? So it's a a great tool to use on your own or also in discussion with other people on your team.
0: And uh, you were mentioning earlier that uh, before the show that it's something people can contribute to.
1: It is a Google Doc, yes. So it is evolving. We want it to be emergent. And also there's comments turned on. So annotate it as you would like.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you both. Just love having you on today's uh, podcast. Uh, I'm really looking forward to your presentation at the Design Up Summit. Everyone, it's going to be virtual, October second through fourth, uh, and uh, Mayad and Lauren are speaking on the fourth. Uh, I hope you'll be there, and I know the two of you will be there. Thanks again, Lauren Lynn Saibzada, Mayad. Great to talk with you today.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having us. Our pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review, brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen, and check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at RosenfeldReview.com.